G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. In the workplace, we strive for good reviews from our employers because it may lead to promotion or financial gain. But how many of us seek the praises of God? This is Leading the Way with Atlanta pastor and international Bible teacher, Dr. Michael Youssef. Today, a message is called The Person Whom God Praises, a thoughtful teaching looking at the characteristics of a man who God highlighted as a great man, offering insight into humble living before a mighty God. Here's Dr. Yusuf, passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth on Leading the Way. In most churches, among most Christians, you find that their understanding of worship is only limited to public worship on Sunday morning or Sunday night or even midweek gathering. They said that's the only worship. Of course, public worship is very important. I am not minimizing that. But worship is a lifestyle. That worship is the totality of our being and involves the totality of our being. That worship involves a sacrifice. That worship is the willingness to put everything on the line for the one we worship. There is one thing that God looks for in the heart of the worshiper, and that's humility. It's humility, a humble heart. That's what God is looking for. He's looking for a humble heart. You cannot offer your body, as Paul tells us in Romans 12, without offering your mind, without offering your heart without offering your hands and the resources in your hands. This is the totality of our being again. When you talk about true humility, you cannot go very far than John the Baptist. And here in Matthew eleven eleven, Jesus, the God-man, who is the embodiment of humility, as something that we try to emulate with we can never match this side of heaven, Jesus is the one who sat on the rim of the universe in the splendor and the glory of heaven, and yet He laid that splendor and the glory. As Paul said in Philippians, he said, he did not grab into that power and the splendor and glory. It's not something to be grasped, but He surrendered it. He gave it up so that He might come to redeem us. That Jesus, who is the ultimate in humility, that same Jesus said in Matthew eleven eleven. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. But this subjunctive, this little word, three letters, that comes in, the word yet. Can you say it with me? That is a very important bridge to the rest of the verse. Yet, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. If John the Baptist was here in this church, none of us, including your pastor, 
none of us would have referred to him as the greatest, right? I want you to think with me. I mean, this guy has never read the GQ magazine, <laughs> let alone try to emulate it. He wore camel hair, a camel hide. I don't know how. That must have been really itchy. <laughs> and when you think about his cuisine of locusts and honey, obviously he has never seen any of those cooking channels. <laughs> What's worse than that, John the Baptist had never read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. He really hasn't. He had never was trained to be seeker-sensitive. I mean, this John the Baptist guy, he had not any concept of how to accentuate the positive about your client so that you can sell them whatever you sell them. He had no idea what marketing strategy is. I'm convinced of that. He doesn't have the foggiest notion of how to articulate your message. He never had a course on how to tailor, make your message to fit your audience. Now, beloved, I am not against any of this stuff. I used to teach communication. Nothing wrong with that. When he was preaching, and throng of city slickers who have traveled long distances to come into the wilderness to hear this guy preach. And you see it in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. Just flip a couple of pages. You hear what John said to us. Oh, thank you so much for coming. How wonderful of you to come and be in a parking lot that is sheltered from rain. And then you come here into this lovely air-conditioned comfort. Oh, how wonderful of you to sacrifice so much to come and be with us today. No, none of that. Listen to what he said. You brood of vipers. <laughs> Who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Therefore, bring forth the fruit of repentance. I'm telling you, this is beyond rough talking. Even back then, John the Baptist did not try to make people feel good about themselves. He didn't. He did not try to make them happy so that they can come back and hear him preach. He did not tell them that God loves them and he loves them too. It was a miracle that these people coming in large numbers, the throngs of them coming into the wilderness. I mean, this guy was, did not look good, did not smell good, he did not act good, and, and he did not have any degree of sophistication. All of that would make you want to go back to Matthew 11, 11 and reread the passage and say, did Jesus really mean to say what he said about this guy? I mean, did really Jesus mean to say that this guy was greater than Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Elijah and Elisha and, and King David? Is this guy, John the Baptist, greater than all of the kings and the emperors and the philosophers and, and the military leaders of the world? Did Jesus really mean to say that? I mean, I want to say, Lord, please, this can't be right. My beloved friends, listen to me. When God said that He looks upon the heart, we look on the outside and the outward appearance. We need to take what God said very seriously. We need to stop be taken in by outward appearance and by just words. By the way, as an aside, I believe with all my heart personally that is a sin against God 
when we only judge people on their outward appearance, when we only go for the half-truth, and we only exercise very shallow judgment, when we do not have sober judgment, uh, when we deal with the surface issues and not the depth of it. But there's more. John the Baptist's father, as you remember the story, he, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, they prayed for years to have children, couldn't have children. But in their old age, the angel came, and he announced that they will have. A miracle is going to happen. His father, Zechariah, was a priest in the temple, but there were a whole lot of priests. He wasn't anything special. Elizabeth, who was, from the human point of view, was a cousin of the Virgin Mary, his mother, Elizabeth, she was a descendant of Aaron. She was a Levite, but... There were lots of descendants of the Levites. They were dime a dozen. <laughs> so from the human point of view, there is no family background that he can boast about. Uh, he did not have a string of degrees to put after his name. He did not have a long list of accomplishments and successes. For goodness sakes, he had never been to seminary. <laughs> he had no theological training. <laughs> Certainly had no social graces. In Luke chapter 1, verse 15, the angel said of his birth, He will be great. Where? In the political circles? In the media circles? In society's circles? No. He will be great in the sight of who? God. And beloved, listen to me, that's all that matters. The greatness of John the Baptist's worship is his absolute humility in the sight of God. He was not only filled with the Holy Spirit, he was totally controlled by the Holy Spirit. Even in his mother's womb, the Bible said he was filled of the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you something. Please listen to me. As long as you want to be in control of your life, the Holy Spirit is going to stand aside. He's not going to leave you. You're not going to lose your salvation. The Bible said that we can grieve Him and we can quench Him. He will stand aside. He said, be my guest. You want total control? Fine. Listen, my precious friends. True worship involves total surrender. True worship is giving up control to whom you worship. True worship says with John the Baptist that he must increase and keep on getting increasing, and I must decrease and keep on getting decreased. What made John the Baptist to be a true and a genuine worshiper of the Lord? <laughs> it was none of the things that we often think about, none of the things that we strive for. Um, I know we seek people's approval, and we seek people's acceptance, and we seek people's good impression of us. I know that we seek uh, people's praise of us. We seek people's admiration of us. Hear me right, please, this is important. As long as these are the most important things in our lives, we cannot be true, genuine worshipers of God. As long as you want people to appreciate your worth, <laughs> you will have a hard time 
appreciating the true worth of the Lord whom you worship. It was said there are only two kinds of preachers around. There are those who make you feel so good about yourself that you walk out of a church singing how great I am. (laughs) But then there are preachers who will make you feel so good about your Lord that you walk outside saying how great He is, how great He is. Had Jesus stopped by the word John the Baptist, without that subjunctive yet, had He stopped there, and that was the end of the verse, I think just about all of us, including your pastor, all of us would have been tempted to say, well, (laughs) good for John the Baptist, right? (laughs) Of course, he's John the Baptist. What do you expect? I mean, he's the one of whom Isaiah prophesied, and he said he will come to prepare the way of the Lord. He was described in the Bible as the Elijah who's going to come before the Messiah. Of course, he was the chosen herald who's proclaiming the coming of the king. What a chance do I have to be compared with John the Baptist? Had the Bible stopped before the word yet, every one of us would have been justified in thinking that way, right? But thank God Jesus did not stop halfway through that verse. He continued, yet I say to you, yet he who's least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Question, who do you think the least in the kingdom of heaven? Children? The very poor? The infirmed? As a matter of fact, in the Bible, there are many times when Jesus talks about children as the least. Talking about kids. They say the least. Now, kids, I want you to know what Jesus thinks of you. Jesus thinks that you can be greater than John the Baptist. Do you know why? John the Baptist saw Jesus face to face. He was his cousin. (laughs) Ah, but you never saw Jesus with your own eyes. But then, when you are a true worshiper of Jesus, when you are a true lover of Jesus, when you are a true witness for Jesus, when your heart is tender toward Jesus, in Jesus' eyes, you are greater than John the Baptist. Do you want to say amen? Amen. God bless you guys. (laughs) Somebody will say, wait a minute, Michael. Wait, wait, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. How can I be greater than John the Baptist? Well, there are two things. If you're taking notes, write them down. They're very important. Okay? Two things. Very simple. And they're very simple. Having clarity in your life's mission. And secondly, having purity in your motives. What do I mean by clarity of mission in life? John the Baptist's mission in life was so clear, you cannot miss it. He says, he must increase and I must decrease. It's that simple. That's his mission that he practiced every single day. 
Listen, I know there are many Christians in churches. They get fouled up with each other over theological nuances. Some get all fouled up over taste of music. Other people debate which is the right governing authority of the church. But if Jesus is not increasing and we are decreasing, we have not yet learned to be true worshipers. Amen. Clarity in his life's mission. The second thing is purity of motives. I know that none of us can have pure motives all the time. I know that, and you know that. There are times, and let me confess to the glory of God and my own shame, there are times when I'm in doubt about my motives. There are times when I go to the Lord in examining of my motives And sometimes my tears communicate with the Lord more than my words, communicating the fact that I want Him to purify my motives. I often cry out to the Lord and say to Him, Lord, please reveal to me if there is some hidden motives that I'm not even aware of in my life that is not all for Your glory. Lord, please either remove the impurities, or remove me for that matter, in my daily prayer. And not just once a day, many times, when I'm in intimate times with the Lord, I'm conscious of the fact that I only serve at His behest. And I talk to the Lord about this all the time. Lord, when you're through with me, don't just let me know, let the, everybody knows. And so I hold everything with open hands, including this ministry. I literally hold it with hands wide open. Many years ago, the Lord began to teach me the importance of examining my motives. By the same token, He began to teach me never to judge another person's motive. Never. I may judge your action, fruit, whatever but not motive. John the Baptist probably had the purest motives of anyone in the Scripture. I know the Apostle Paul had pure motives. Who would be beaten up and suffer as much as he did if he didn't have a pure motive? And he even one time said there are some people even preach the gospel out of impure motives. He said, let them alone. God will take care of that. You say, how do you know, Michael, that John the Baptist really had pure motives? It's a good question. I'm so glad you asked it because I want you to really lend me your ears, your minds, and your eyes, and and just focus with me for a minute, because I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you the incredible temptation that this man was facing. What's the last book in the Old Testament? Malachi. Malachi. It's the last word that came from the Lord, the last prophet that has spoken, the last prophetic word that the Lord has spoken to his people. And did you know that for 400 years after Malachi, God was silent? He was. There was no word from the Lord. There was no prophetic word from the Lord. There was no message to Israel. There was nothing. God was silent. But then, after 400 years… God began to speak again. Through whom? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. And he proclaimed 
the coming Jesus. Now, this rough-looking, rough-eating, rough-speaking, rough-living guy to whom people came in large number, probably thousands. Why? Why were they doing this? Well, they were hungry for the truth. They were thirsty for the truth. They were tired of the namby-pamby preachers who were preaching a bunch of nothings. And now you can understand. You can understand that the number one temptation for John the Baptist would have been, I could occupy the center stage. This must be all about me. Look at all these people. They couldn't be all wrong. John the Baptist could have received all that attention himself. All of this could have gotten to his head. All of this could have gotten to him and accept all of that popularity. This could have played tricks on his head and his mind. And he said, man, I must be the guy. I know I'm here to announce somebody, but I must be the one. I wonder whether I'm not the one. Because his motives were pure, and because he was a genuine, true worshipers of the Lord Jesus, he pointed to Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He kept on saying to them, He is the one, not me. It's all about Him and not me. It is not my message even. It is the subject of my message. I'm only preparing the way. I'm only baptizing with water, but when He comes, He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. The biggest temptations for believers in the 21st century is for us to occupy the center stage is that we seek acceptance at any price. We want the world to think the best of us. And beloved, that is why, and this is the number one reason why many people do not share Christ with their neighbors and friends. Clarity of mission for life. Purity of motive. Now you keep those two things at the forefront of your mind. You keep those things at the forefront of your life. You keep that at the forefront of your witnessing. And I promise you, you will be blessed. May we all get to a place in our relationship with Jesus where our heart's desire is for Him to increase and us to decrease. Thank you for taking time to listen today to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Listen to all of Dr. Youssef's passionate messages online at ltw.org through the Leading the Way app on your smartphone or tablet, or by subscribing to our podcast, available on Spotify, Apple, Google, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast content. Well, that music's telling me I've got to say goodbye. But please accept this invitation to listen again next time for more Leading the Way. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.